0: Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue Podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our guest, James Morrow, Democratic candidate for state school superintendent. Welcome to the show, James. We're happy to have you here.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: Well, terrific. Let's let our listeners know something about you. James Morrow Jr. was born in West Helena, Arkansas. James is father was a disabled veteran who fought in the Korean War. Thank you for his service. His mother is a retired teacher and coach who worked in the Arkansas school system for 39 years. Impressive. James attended the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff on a basketball and track scholarship. He completed his Bachelor of Arts in History with a minor in physical education in 1997. After graduation, James took a job as the assistant men's basketball coach at Philander Smith College, located in downtown Little Rock. coaching college basketball, Mr. Morrow was enrolled at the University of Arkansas, where he completed his master's degree in secondary education with an emphasis in history, economics, geography, and government. James has been an educator and coach for over two decades. He has been a teacher in the Atlanta metro area for the past 16 years. Before relocating to Georgia in 2006, he had taught in Little Rock, Arkansas and Las Vegas, Nevada. Subjects taught by Mr. Morrow include AP, United States History, AP, Human Geography, American Government, United States World Affairs and Economics and Phys Ed. James says it is his pleasure to try to help students become productive citizens in a global society. He has always had a genuine concern for the well-being of his students and would like to see all of them become successful. In his free time, he enjoys traveling and spending time with family. What free time, James? (laughs) been teaching full-time uh, yeah. and, and running for office, and I wanted to ask you, is this your first time running for political office?
1: Oh, no. In 2016, I ran for state senator against Boris Tate, and in 2018, I ran for House of Representatives against Erica Thomas. But it was just me trying to figure out how the political game worked. I always knew that I was meant to run for state superintendent, but I was just trying to figure out how politics worked. Because so, really, nobody support me. I was kind of low-key and under the radar, but I just wanted to figure out how it worked.
0: Well, terrific, and I'm sure you figured it out by now, so you're well on your way. So what made you decide to run for Georgia State School Superintendent this year?
1: Well, after all the issues that I've seen in the school that I work in, you know, as far as the violence and the drugs, and I don't know if you ever saw on the news, but I want to say maybe a month ago, a student fired a weapon in the cafeteria at the school that I currently teach at.
0: (gasps) Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, so he shot a hole in the ceiling. And it just so happened that kid was on probation for strong arm robbery. So I was telling my administrators I don't feel like he should have been at a regular school setting, given the fact that he was on probation for such a violent crime. But it's like school is not school anymore. Not what you remember It's more violence, guns, sex, drugs. And there's no consequences for the things that the children do. And not only that, the teachers are physically mentally, emotionally, and verbally abused by students, by parents, and by certain administrators, and no one seems to care. So when I noticed that there was a school board member from Gwinnett County running, and then there was a school board member that was a dentist from Kyle County, then an attorney and a former state representative, so I made my mind up I should run because I'm a teacher and I represent teachers and I know how teachers feel. And I know what they think and I know what they're going through.
0: Well, certainly you're well qualified in that area. And you have, of course, stated that discipline and safety in our schools, which you've just elaborated on, is a vital issue for you. What would you do to stem all these issues and problems that teachers and school systems are facing today?
1: Currently, in my school, we have approximately 1,600 students with one school resource officer. I feel like for every 500 students, you should have at least three officers. This man, he basically patrols the whole school by himself, you know, and if he's taking care of something outside, something goes on in the building, then it's total chaos. So I just feel like that's one way. Two, we need somebody patrolling all the parking lots. Maybe somebody that's retired riding around in a golf cart, mud in the parking lot, because we constantly have kids leaving and coming back on campus, and we don't know what they're bringing on campus. Three, we need functioning metal detectors, not just something that's just sitting there for show, but something that actually works and random searches. I remember when I first moved to Georgia, a lot of times they would have students exit the classroom and leave their bags and belongings in the classroom and they would bring the dogs through smelling for objects or drugs or whatever. So that's another way. But it's like school is turned to a business that seems to be all about money and nobody really cares about the children are learning. Most middle school teachers are forced to give kids 50% just for putting their names on the paper. A lot of people don't know that. And because of COVID, most kids are two and a half years behind because doing the virtual when it first started, most of them wouldn't log in, wouldn't turn in any work. And, you know, our, our administrators telling us to show compassion and just give them grades. So basically you got a kid that might have a 35, they ended up with a 70 because the administrators asked you to do so.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a very difficult problem. And how will you address the relentless mental, physical, emotional, and verbal abuse that teachers receive from students, parents, and administrators on a daily basis? Because I have friends who are teachers in both the Cobb County and Gwinnett County school systems, and I hear every day from them how difficult their jobs are and how teachers are leaving in droves. Oh, yeah leaving the profession, good teachers that are leaving the profession on a daily basis as well. So how would you address that problem? How would you help the teachers?
1: Well, one, we got to have more severe consequences for the students. I'm not saying lock anyone up. For instance, I caught a student on a Monday smoking a marijuana blunt. I caught him Wednesday having sex. The only thing he received was one day in-school suspension. Now, in my day, you got caught doing something like that, you would be expelled. And you would end up having to go to an alternative school setting, but it's about the dollars. You know, they get uh, seven, $8,000 per student federal funding, and if that student missed more than 10 days, they have to return that federal funding back. So they tolerate the foolishness, but at the same time, it causes problems for the teacher. So I would make sure that there would be some type of consequences for the things the students are doing instead of just a slap on the wrist. Again, I'm not saying lock anyone up, but it has to be more severe consequences for the things that children are doing especially as far as they talk to their teachers and as far as parents. Parents they come into the school wanting to fight and curse the teachers out basically because the teacher might have called and said that your son hasn't been doing any work and then come up there and get upset and start screaming and acting irate and demonstrating hostile ways towards that teacher. So I wouldn't say lock the parent up but a lot of times that might be the only case I mean, there's a lot of things that go into schools that people don't understand. You have kids that don't receive any food until they come to school for breakfast and lunch. A lot of times I have athletes that can't come to practice because they got to go home and babysit their little brother and sister because their mother works a graveyard shift and they don't have a father at home. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that kids go through that people don't really understand. And a lot of these things are adult problems and these are children that's trying to maneuver their way this adult
0: lifestyle they're living. So teachers receive an onslaught of this behavior every day, plus not being paid well enough for what they do. Yeah. What do you feel we have to do to ensure teachers are paid adequately for their work?
1: Well, they're always saying that there's no money, but I'm sure that there's some money to be found somewhere. But it's like whenever the wind blows, legislators vote to cut funding from education. But I would propose that every teacher receive anywhere from a five to $7,000 raise if you look, the governor just gave us a two thousand dollar bonus, but they're gonna tax it. So out of that two thousand dollars, we'll probably only receive thirteen or fourteen hundred of it. But I feel like those bonuses the teachers receive
0: should be tax free. I agree. And also, if it's part of their salary, they won't have to be taxed on it so heavily versus bonuses. So let's talk about what's going on across the country right now with Republican legislators who have passed laws about not teaching what they term as divisive concepts, including the don't say gay bill in Florida, and of course, anything having to do with the racial divide, not to mention the fact that they're banning books books that are classics, literature that we all grew up reading and certainly had to read in our advanced placement classes and throughout college. So what are your thoughts on that? And how would you stem that from happening in our school system now? What would you do to ensure that these concepts are still readily available for our students to expand their critical thinking skills and make sure that they actually have a solid educational foundation?
1: I would make sure that all the things that need to be taught are taught. I mean, to me, I feel like it's taken away from freedom of speech, freedom of expression. They're violating people's constitutional rights by forcing them to tell them what they can teach and what they can't teach. So in my opinion, as long as it's not teaching racial tensions or teaching people to go against each other, I don't see a problem with it being taught.
0: Well, what about teaching actual history? I know that when I was growing up, I didn't learn the truth or facts about slavery being so horrendous and horrible. The textbooks were incorrect and still are in most cases. And I never learned about the terrors and horrors of slavery. And I also learned that the Civil War was about states' rights. (laughs) How old, are you? old enough to have not learned any of these concepts. So, what are your thoughts on making sure that students are taught actual historical fact and concepts versus the, I would say, Republican whitewashed version of these events?
1: Racism has always been a normalized feature in American society, and it's never going to go away. People are going to always feel like that white society did other races this certain way. And and I just feel that certain people in white society want it to go away and and they don't want younger generations to know what went on. It's like you said, they want to wipe it out of the history books, but you you can't do that. Even though it's a bad part of American history, it's still, American history and it should be taught. But
0: what do you think about all these laws that Republicans are passing that says you can't make white students feel discomfort or uncomfortable?
1: Let's vote them out of office. Yes, let's vote them out of office because it's like, you know, why do you want to hide it? I mean, basically, all races are kind of somewhat living in harmony, you know, and just want to be happy, you know. And COVID brought a lot of problems and issues and exposed. A lot of things, a lot of people didn't realize
0: what was going on until COVID hit. Right, exactly. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I did want to ask you, presuming that Georgia's General Assembly is going to remain heavily red and heavily Republican, how would you as state school superintendent work with a right-wing legislature to ensure that these concepts are being taught in school and that our students are receiving an actual factual quality education? How would you do that?
1: I would meet with them, maybe in a group or maybe individually and let them know that these things should be taught and they should not be here to keep away from the students. And if you don't agree with me, then I have to put you on blast and let everybody know that you're against it.
0: (laughs) Okay. But in all fairness, Democratic legislators are confronting Republicans with these facts and with these issues, and they've been unable to...
1: But it's not enough Democrats, huh?
0: Yeah, that's it, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly it. So the solution is to vote blue and make sure that we have more Democrats both in statewide office and in our state legislature to ensure these concepts are taught. So moving on, tell us how COVID has impacted students and teachers as well across the state. And what would you do as school superintendent to rectify these issues?
1: You know, it's hard just to get up and come to work after COVID hit. And when it first hit, we taught from home for like a year and a half. Then we had to go back, and a lot of teachers have a lot of anxiety because they don't feel comfortable. Because many of the students, even though it was mandated to wear masks at the time when we went back, they really didn't do it. But I'm in the gym now, and I have 59 students, and I'm gonna tell you, we're probably like five teachers short. So whenever they can't find a sub to fill the position, guess where they dump them at? In the gym.
0: Uh, oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> so I could be in the gym by myself with like 250 students, and you know, I try to do my part by checking temperatures, you know, and giving masks to the kids that want to wear masks, and trying to make sure that they isolate. But it's kind of hard to social distance when you got over 200 students in the gym by yourself. But we have a shortage of teachers. In Clayton County, there's over 200 teacher positions that need to be filled. And then they try to fill it with permanent or long-term subs. I mean, it's a mess right now. The best way to fix it, we got to find a way to make becoming a teacher important again. It's a very noble profession, but nobody really wants to get into it because of the way the students and parents treat the teachers, the way administrators treat the teachers. So it's just like education is not the same, and I'm not gonna lie to you. If I recently started teaching two or three years ago, I'd probably be looking for another profession. But since I've been in this game for 25 years, it's kind of too late in the game to do something else. So I feel like I need to step up and speak for teachers. To get my name on the ballot, I had to pay $3,698.10. I don't have a lot of money like that because I'm a teacher, but I try to save at least a year's worth of bill money. So that way, in case I lose my job for snatching a kid up or something, I still be able to pay my bills for the next year. So I took like three months worth of my mortgage and that's basically how I got my name on the ballot. So I'm sure many teachers would be able to relate to that.
0: Wow. And all that money goes into the state coffers, correct? Yeah. Okay. So that's quite hefty of a fee to have to pay simply to run. No, That's
1: why you don't have a lot of people running.
0: Right. Exactly. Because it's expensive to run and you sort of have to have the money to start with in order to be successful in politics. So how would you work with administrators on the ground, administrators who are struggling with all the school systems throughout our state, all 159 counties when it comes to public education. How would you work with them to ensure that discipline is provided in these schools and proper disciplinary procedures?
1: I would meet with them in the beginning of the year and just let them know that money is not everything. You know, I know a lot of you want to keep the kids here because it brings money into your school, into your school district, but In the beginning of the year, examples must be made. You know, they want to wait until the end of the year to start suspending students. But when they do things wrong, like when we come back in August and September, you know, your top 10 habitual offenders, you got to get them out of there. You got to make examples out of them and send them to alternative school setting or wherever they need to go to make sure that your students feel safe and they're able to learn in an environment that's conducive to learning and that they don't have to worry about any violent attacks. So that's one way that I would explain to the administrators that they need to focus more on policing the children instead of policing the
0: teachers. Where do you draw the line with that? Because when, when you say policing the children, a lot of parents would understandably look askance at that viewpoint. So how would you convince the parents that this discipline is necessary?
1: Well, discipline should start at home. Teachers shouldn't really have to deal with discipline. Your child should have discipline when they walk through the front doors of the school. But they don't, as you and I both know. So parents need to be held more accountable for the actions of their children. And I don't know what type of punishment we could issue to the parents, but something has to be done because it's basically the home training and how the child is raised. For example, I hear students tell their mom to shut up or tell their mom they're lying. If I said something like that to my mom, when I was in school, I'd be picking my face up off the floor. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So if they talk to their parents like that, you know, they don't have any respect for their teachers. So that's one thing that we have to deal with. We need rehab for students. We have a lot of students that own drugs. So we need some type of rehab and anger management programs for the students. Because, you know, I hear in elementary school, you have a lot of students that attack their teachers and, and throw items at them and chairs at them.
0: So. It's really scary. So what are your thoughts on parents showing up at school board meetings and dictating to teachers and administrators as to what should be taught in the school system when they really don't know the history themselves or don't have the knowledge necessary?
1: Parents are, are speaking off emotions when they do that because they're angry about something that a child has done or hasn't done to or for their child. So, I mean, parents should be allowed to attend school board meetings. But when they have a suggestion of something, it should be meaningful. It shouldn't be something that just fly off their hip because they're angry about something. I feel like they should. Since you said that, I feel like also at least one, if not two, teachers should be on every school board in every school district in Georgia because you have people creating policy and sending agendas that's never been in the education field. So how do they understand what's going on? Even though in certain school districts there's a policy that states that you can't be on the school board if you're employed by the school district. But I'm sure they can rewrite that and change it if they wanted to.
0: Right, because individual school boards at the local level are so important. What are your thoughts on vouchers being provided for charter schools versus public school education, which Republicans are continually trying to erode in favor of private schools? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know, you have some charter schools that are under a public school umbrella. And so I really don't have a problem with that, but if it's a private charter school, then I feel like no public school funding or government funding should go to those schools. If you want to go to a private school, then I feel like your parents should have to pay. Similar to like the students to go to Woodward Academy. You go to Woodward Academy, I think it costs like 27,000 a year. When you take money from public schools, you're hurting the public schools and the resources that they can have for the students. Now, some people feel like charter schools are better, but most of those teachers, are not fully certified. They don't have to be licensed by the Department of Education. They didn't have to major in the education field. They could get like an alternative license and teach. So they're not really fully certified teachers. But again, charter schools, they can pick and choose who they want to keep. At the same time, public schools can't because the numbers are adrenaline because when students leave and go to charter schools, that's why they're not willing to kick out the habitual offenders because they need those kids to make up for the numbers of kids that's leaving going to charter schools.
0: That makes sense. And what are your thoughts on the lack of equity across educational outcomes and inequity across our school systems? How, How do we resolve that? No one wants to
1: take accountability for anything. Most school systems, they depend on the ignorance of parents and the fear of teachers, not to call them to the carpet to do anything. Like no one wants to take the blame, but somebody has to. And I just feel like I would be the man that'll be the one to take the blame as education is not successful in Georgia. I just want to see the kids flourish. I feel like everybody's not made for college. I feel like we need vocational schools. So when kids don't want to do the geometry and the trigonometry and the physics and all that, they want to work with their hands or they want to drive 18 uh, wheelers. So when a kid graduate from high school, I would like to see them have their CDL license or their electrician license or their carpenter or welding or something to that effect. That way they'll still be able to make money and take care and support their family. It's Like right now, we're pushing everybody to go to college. Everybody's not college material. So we got to find a way to help students as far as that.
0: So more technical schools. And is that something that you can do as state school superintendent?
1: Well, I can suggest it and I can find money and write grants. The state superintendent basically shares control with the board members of the Department of Education because each and every school district Basically, sets their own agenda, but they go off suggestions from the state superintendent. I can't really tell them what to
0: do. Gotcha. Okay. But you can certainly persuade and push. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. And then I can take take money away, too. There you go. (laughs) Money talks, right? Yeah, Yeah. That would definitely help. Well, this has been great. Is there anything else you want to cover that I haven't asked you today? Let me give you an example of what
1: teachers go through. Okay. When I first moved to Atlanta, I was the athletic director, I head football, ahead, head boys basketball, ahead, head boys track. I was at Sylvan Hills Middle School on Sylvan Road. And I told the principal, I said, I'm not feeling middle school anymore. This is 6, 7, eight. The kids are off the chain. I'm going to third high school. And this is what teachers go through on a daily basis. She told me with a big smile on her face, oh, you're not going anywhere, Coach Morrow. You're one of my shining stars. You wear too many hats in my building. I didn't think nothing of it. My last evaluation of the year, this lady gave me 11 needs improvement just to uh,
0: force me to stay there. Oh, my goodness. They can force you to stay?
1: Yes, because when you want to transfer within a school district, like I was in APS, and I was wanting to leave seven Hills Middle to go to Thurl High School, which is in Atlanta Public Schools. And she, to block me, she tried to put me on a professional development plan. A professional development plan, once an administrator puts you on a professional development plan, you can't transfer within the district. So I was so upset that she did that to me that I resigned. And I took like a $10,000 pay cut and I went to Clayton County School. So I just wanted to talk about that because these are the things that people don't know that teachers have to go through. They either give you a bad evaluation because they want to run you away, or they give you a bad evaluation because they want you to stay. So it's like you damn if you do, damn if you don't.
0: I just want to talk about that. I'm glad you did because I was not aware of that situation. And I doubt that most people are outside of the school environment. And teachers don't stand up because most teachers don't make a whole lot of money. Most of
1: them live check to check. So when something happens, they just tuck their tail and walk away. I'm one of the guys where I'm not going to discuss it, but if you was going to Google and type in James Morrow, North Clayton High School, you would see where I filed a lawsuit against Clayton County Schools in 2014. I can't discuss it because they made me sign a confidentiality agreement, but uh, I stand up for myself and I encourage other teachers to stand up for themselves. You know, all you got to do is file a complaint with human resources, but a lot of teachers are too afraid to do it because they feel like they'll be attacked. But you know, that'll stop administrators from always pressing on your neck. If you file a complaint with equity and compliance of the human resource department.
0: My goodness, that is staggering. That's <laughs> a staggering situation. Teachers not going to talk about
1: it because they don't, want the administrators to know they're talking about it.
0: Well, is that something you can change as state school superintendent? That is something I'm going to change. <laughs> okay, that would be great. So finally, James, if someone wants to volunteer with your campaign, get involved, donate, etc., where would you send them?
1: They could reach me at VoteMorrow for a better tomorrow on my Facebook, or they can email me. Uh, The same email you have, Nicholas Morrow, 1911 at Gmail, and I'll get right back to him. And that's M-O-R-R-O-W, correct? Yes, ma'am.
0: Just like Morrow, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Terrific. Well, that makes it easy. And last but not least, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Something just about you that doesn't necessarily have to do with your campaign or even teaching. Tell us something fun about James that we may not know. I
1: like basketball and uh, work out with my kids. I have a... 14-year-old and the 7-year-old, and I like to uh, work out and play basketball with them. You know, I'm 47 years old, and I got to stay active so I can be able to keep up with them. Especially the 7-year-old, right? Especially the 7-year-old. And
0: are they both basketball prodigies because of you? Has- oh, yeah, basketball and
1: baseball. My 14-year-old son, he plays for the Georgia Bombers, 14 year the team. And my youngest son, he plays for Wallace Park, a New York Yankees.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that apple hasn't fallen far from that tree. So kudos to you for raising your kids with those athletic abilities. And it's so important to be part of teams, isn't it? Because you learn a lot of self-discipline and teamwork and working with diverse folks that way. So that's wonderful. Well, thank you, James, for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work to support Georgians and maintain our educational public school systems
1: happy to be here. Hey, Check out my interview with 11 Alive. It's supposed to
0: be coming out Friday.
1: I had with Miss Diaz. She did a 30-minute interview with me.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'm Meryl Clark, and on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue Podcast. Join us next time when we chat with Curry Hitchens, also running for Georgia School Superintendent. To learn more about us and the work that we're doing, visit us online at FanninCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. Share the north georgia blue podcast with your friends and family be sure to subscribe and follow and if you enjoy our podcast be a founding patron and friend of the show at north georgia blue podcast.com slash patron now with three different giving levels to choose from offering cool swag recognition on the show and website and valuable gift cards to help us continue getting into more good trouble